0: Hello, everyone. I'm Harvey Brownstone, and today's guest is a beloved, highly acclaimed singer, actress, and recording artist whose spectacular body of work has conquered every medium, the stage, movies, television, and the recording studio. She starred in numerous Broadway shows, including Oklahoma, Camelot, Dinner at Eight, Steel Magnolias, Blithe Spirit, and she won Tony Awards and Outer Critics Circle Awards for her performances in 42nd Street and Grey Gardens, for which she also won the Drama Critics Award and the Obie Award. On the big screen, you've seen her in many hit movies, including Tootsie, Amadeus, Dead Again, True Crime, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Licorice Pizza. And on TV, she's been a regular in dozens of shows, including Ryan's Hope, Saturday Night Live, One Life to Live, for which she got an Emmy Award nomination, The Kavanaugh's, Rachel Gunn RN, Related, Sullivan and Son, and of course, her current starring role as the irrepressible Dottie in the hit TV show Bob Hart's Abishola, now in its fourth season. And if all of that weren't enough, she has the magnificent, crystal clear, perfect pitch voice of an angel. She's performed in concert on tour in her show, Big Noise from Winnetka, and at the most prestigious venues, including Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center, the Cinegrill, Feinstein's, Birdland, and Cafe Carlisle. In fact, she won the 2010 Nightlife Award for Outstanding Cabaret Vocalist for her show at the Carlisle. And of course, her beautiful, captivating voice is featured not only on her original Broadway cast albums, but especially on her solo albums entitled In Your Dreams. Christine Ebersole sings Noel Coward, Strings Attached, and my personal favorite, Sunday in New York. And now she's released her highly anticipated brand new album, After the Ball, featuring classic songs by some of the greatest songwriters, including Jerome Kern, Johnny Mercer, Harold Arlen, and even Joni Mitchell, with original arrangements by Broadway veteran Lawrence Yerman. I'm delighted to welcome to our show the irresistible force of nature known as Christine Ebersole. Christine, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh my gosh, that was such a sweet, wonderful, amazing introduction.
0: (laughs) Well, you deserve it. You've done a lot. 50 years. I have to start by telling you that in 2007, I saw you on Broadway in Great Gardens playing the dual roles of Big Edie and Little Edie. I still can't figure out where you got the energy to do that.
1: I don't, I don't understand it either. When I look back on it, I, I it was so gargantuan, you know. I, I I just I think it's the the passion and the will.
0: Well, you've said publicly that your experience of doing Grey Gardens was life altering. Can you tell yeah. me about the impact of being in that show?
1: I think it was all the forces that came together, all the talent and determination that derived from the people involved in getting this to where it needed to go. It, it, it was a joggernaut that would never, ever happen again. It's overwhelming. I think I think what Scott Frankel and Michael Corey wrote was a, a masterpiece. I really do.
0: Well, as you know, I, in the HBO movie, they needed two actresses to do what you did on the stage, Jessica Lange and Drew Barrymore, Would you have liked to have been in the movie?
1: I don't know what I would have done in the movie. I think they asked me to play Jackie Kennedy or something like that. I turned it down.
0: Another one of my favorite Christine Ebersole Broadway performances was in War Paint. You played Elizabeth Arden and Patti LuPone played Helena Rubinstein. I know the show had to shut down prematurely because Patti LuPone needed a hip replacement. But is there any chance you might do a movie version of the show? Oh,
1: gosh, I never considered that. I think Meryl Streep would play my part.
0: We want you. (laughs) You've had such an amazing career on Broadway. In 1980, you co-starred in Camelot with Richard Burton. You played Guinevere. Christine, when you think of your most memorable Broadway performances, is that one of them?
1: Yes. That was life-changing as well. Why? Imagine, I learned the part in three days.
0: Unbelievable.
1: You know, worked with Richard Burton and Richard Harris. It was unbelievable. In
0: 1993, you appeared in the made-for-TV movie of Gypsy starring Bette Midler. You played the demure stripper Tessie Tura, who did it with finesse in the song You Gotta Have a Gimmick. Can you tell us a bit about your experience of making that movie? It's one of my favorite things you've ever done.
1: Oh, it was such a blast. I mean, it's just, there's, it, it was so amazing on so many levels. We were filming downtown in Los Angeles, and Bob Mackey, who was doing the costumes, did my wedding dress. He made my wedding dress for me in 1988. And I guess this was in 93. And I was playing a stripper, and my husband, Bill, was there, and he was commenting to, to Bob Mackey, that his parents uh, worked in the Follies, his mother was a was actually a stripper. And his father was kind of like the guy at the Follies, you know, that the Irish tenor that's, you know, bring on the beautiful girls, that, that kind of thing. He was Johnny Maloney, the Prince of Personality. And it was this sort of collision of worlds, because it turns out that Bob Mackey used to skip school and go down to the Follies and saw Ginger O'Dare and Johnny Maloney, my husband's parents. And, and here I am on the stage. Like, it was just crazy. It was this crazy convergence.
0: That really is the universe coming together in a very kind of karmic way, don't you think?
1: Well, it's just, I don't know how life imitates art, imitates life. It's so crazy how that works. <laughs>
0: You played Leia Belfort in *The Wolf of Wall Street*, directed by Martin Scorsese. What was he like to work with?
1: Well, he was amazing. He he just he was the kind of director that when he spoke to you, there was no one else in the room, you know. And he, you could get into conversations with him that would just go on for like forty five minutes, about, just about art and life and all that kind of stuff. He was a great lover of music. And it just, he, he's really one of kind I'm just one of the greatest experiences I ever had.
0: Yes, I thought your performance in Wolf of Wall Street really was so nuanced. It was so layered and complex. You should be very, very proud of that delivery.
1: Well, that's also Marty, because he allowed the actors to bring what they had to the table.
0: Well, I can't resist asking you about Licorice Pizza, which got three Oscar nominations last year. You played Lucy Doolittle, an actress based on Lucille Ball. I think she's based on Lucille Ball. That's not an easy task. Was it intimidating for you?
1: Well, at first I thought, well, I can't. That's impossible. You can't. You know, she's indelible ink. Yes. So I just tried to bring to it what I know in terms of, and and sort of how I perceive the inside of the character of Lucy Doolittle, which I know is very much Lucy of all, but they changed the name to protect the innocent, you know? It, it just wasn't a, you know, that's another thing is Paul Thomas Anderson is the kind of director that, again, just, he would just say, keep going, keep going, keep going. And a lot of it was improv, but he was one of those kind of fearless directors that just, allowed you to be fearless.
0: Well, I'm assuming that the stage performance that you did there with all the children is based on the Ed Sullivan appearance that Lucy did to promote the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours. So did you watch that?
1: Yeah, that was an an exact replication. Michael Arnold restaged that and was exactly the replication of that. With the little things in the middle of it, you know, that were Paul added by by Paul Thomas Anderson.
0: Well, you did it beautifully. And for all the Lucy fans out there who also love Christine Ebersole, it was a double treat.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I had a blast. It was such a great time.
0: I must tell you, Christine, that I really enjoy you on Bob Hart's Abishola because you make my mom seem not that bad. Who are you (laughs) channeling? (laughs) Who are you channeling in that role? You've got to be channeling somebody.
1: (laughs) It's just, she just tells it like it is. Well, no, it's the no filter aspect.
0: Well, as everyone knows, you play a stroke victim on the show. And that's an experience that's very close to home for you. Because your dear husband, Bill, had an acoustic neuroma two years after you got married, correct?
1: Right. Mm hmm.
0: Is it true that in playing Dottie, you show your stroke symptoms on the left side to honor Bill?
1: Well, it's not, it's, it's, it wasn't directly in honor of it, but it was, I understood it from experience, from having experienced it from the outside. So I was able to try and figure out what it felt like by what I observed.
0: Is there something liberating about playing a role of a character who has absolutely no filter?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You get to tell it like it is and, you know,
0: but you not
1: get canceled, you know,
0: (laughs) but do you understand that you've become beloved that by having no filter, by being the person that you are on that show, that people love you. Do you get that?
1: Well, I I've noticed lately, you know, because I don't generally get recognized. I kind kind of can travel under the radar, but since Bob Hart's Abishola, I feel like I'm getting recognized more, and it's it's really so heartwarming because people just you know they want to hug me, <laughs> and I want to hug them. You know, it's just like this. You know, you made me so happy, and you know this and that. So. I, I can feel it in the public, you know, when I'm when I'm walking through a train station.
0: You know, the thing that gets me about you is that in one episode of a TV show, you can be seen by many more people than six months of doing a Broadway show eight times a week. Yeah, that's got to be a strange sensation. You worked so hard on the stage.
1: Well, it's just a different medium. I mean, they're both equally powerful. In fact, stage is probably more powerful in that sense for the actor because it's a shared experience that's live. And, and with television and film, it's kind of once removed, you know?
0: Well, I know that making TV shows is hard work, but after what you've done on Broadway, doing eight shows oh, a week. Oh, no,
1: it's not. It's not. It's not hard work. The stage is hard work.
0: Yeah, for Stage years. Is hard
1: work, don't television and television is easy
0: street. <laughs> it's like a piece of cake for you. You were doing eight totally. a week for years.
1: It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Wednesday matinee. I just do a table read. <laughs> that's a half an hour sitting down after I've driven there by my car. You know, what I mean, there's no comparison where, you know, we're on a Wednesday in New York on Broadway, you're singing. By the end of the day, you've sung 44 songs.
0: Unreal. Before we talk about the new album, I want to briefly mention some of your other albums, starting with your album of Noel Coward songs. Is it true that the idea for that album came to you when you were doing Blythe Spirit?
1: Yes, because Michael Blakemore, who was the director of Blythe Spirit, had asked me to sing songs for the interludes when they were scene changing. And the curtain would come down and I would sing songs that would sort of inform what was coming next. So I did those songs with Larry Yerman for the production. And then it was after that that we decided that it would be great to put an album out.
0: You've made at least two albums with Billy Stritch, including In Your Dreams and my all-time favorite, Sunday in New York. Tell me about the magic that happens when the two of you collaborate.
1: Well, we just did, did a New Year's concert in Provincetown Massachusetts New Year's Eve together it was lightning and thunder (laughs) I don't know I mean how, how do you explain a chemistry
0: I think it comes down to warmth there's a an incredible warmth that gets generated between the two of you do you know what I mean
1: yes yes that's true and it's very real
0: well, that's what comes through when when I listen to those albums. Now, this new album, After the Ball, has a kind of contemplative feel to it. You're reflecting yeah. on your life now that all three of your kids have grown up. You're an empty yeah. nester. How did yeah. you go about choosing the songs for that album?
1: But yeah, that really came out of the, just the, the, the inspiration came out of the empty nesting and sort of the feelings that are that you're left with, you know, that the self-reflection, the sort of you know, things that you didn't accomplish that you wanted to, and how do you move forward with, with the time that's gone by?
0: You included a sleep and Bee" on the album written by Harold Arlen and Truman Capote. What does that song evoke in your mind?
1: It's just a perfect song about finding love on all its levels, I think. So I think it really encompasses the whole, the whole album it kind of winds it up and wraps it up into love.
0: Is it true that your decision to record my baby just cares for me was inspired by your experiences during the hurricane Sandy power outage? Yeah, really? It
1: was because, you know, that's, that's when I really had such time, you know, the unadulterated time with the children was nine days without power. And it was just all this togetherness that, I missed out on a lot because of doing eight shows a week. You miss out a lot to be there to tuck them in bed and make meals for them and play board games and build the fires and keep everybody warm. And it was, it was such a, again, I was so grateful there who was living with us at the time, you know, I was just so happy to just be my mother's daughter and my husband's wife and my children's mother.
0: Well, Christine, you've had an amazing career and you've conquered every medium in the industry and your career just keeps getting stronger. What do you think has been the major factor in your longevity in show business?
1: I think it's persistence, certainly, but it's, it's really loving what, what I do.
0: So how do you define success in your life?
1: I think a success is defined by family for me. And family is... It takes on a wide scope. You could say the family of man, the family of humanity or whatever, but it starts with the nuclear family.
0: That's so interesting to me because for so many years, as you've mentioned, you sacrificed a whole lot of family time to give the audiences all of those performances. Yeah. And yet yeah. when it comes down to it for you, success is family.
1: Yeah. The, the strength lies in family and the support, the support, and how you affect future generations.
0: Can you feel, I know you said that you travel under the radar, but do you have a sense of how beloved and gifted you are?
1: That makes me cry. I'm so grateful and so appreciative of all that. You know, when I was, when Billy and I went to Provincetown and I performed on New Year's Eve, it was it was overwhelming because it is the first time since the world shut down. And of course, you know, I had my doubts when the world shut down. I thought, well, I'm never gonna do this again. And then to get on the other side and to have this shared experience with people that had been locked down as well, you know, for for three years and everything that went on with that, the people we lost and all that, it just to feel the love in the room was, was overwhelming. It really was. Mm-hmm. All I can say is that God almighty, my creator gave me the gift of singing and how I can glorify that is how I can glorify his kingdom is to share that gift with with human beings, (laughs) with other human beings. And that sort of experience, again, of, of this gift that I've been given and the reception of the love of the people that are there, you know, takes that into this realm of God. You know, it takes it into this this realm of God's love. And it really is overwhelming. It really is. And I'm just so grateful. That's why I'm I'm feeling emotional about it because it's so powerful. And it's not something that I, you know, came up with. I was given that I was given the talent by God. I was, I didn't make it up. I didn't come up with it. It was given to me and made aware At a very early age, when I was three years old, there's a recording that my father made of me singing jingle bells completely on pitch at Christmas. But, you know, my parents also recognized it as well. And they were very supportive of me. And they were encouraging of me, you know, which is not typical. It's not typical that parents will do that. You know, they want you to have something to fall back on. But they recognized that. And like I said, they were so supportive. My fa- When I got accepted to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, my father paid for, you know, he was able to pay for me to go to school there. Of course, in those days, it was like, what, 500 bucks, you know, now it's it's so such a Ponzi scheme. What's happening now? And my mother, same thing. You know, she was my first I would consider her my first music teacher. She taught us all how to sing harmony at the piano with a Methodist hymnal and My father was what I would consider my first acting teacher. You know, he was a big lover of Shakespeare. And so I, you know, and because I had this gift of observing, I was able to kind of absorb things and take them in and then, you know, be able to assimilate them or be able to imitate them. It's, you know, it's the support of family, again, and community that, raises the it raises the it raises everything because i can't it can't be done on its own you know i can't do it by myself but it's the support of of community and family the human family that we glorify you know what god gave us
0: well i don't mean to make you cry but you (laughs) mentioned the pandemic christine and i want you to know that while so many of us were isolated and very lonely and afraid. It was many, many songs that you sang in Broadway soundtracks and on your solo albums that kept a lot of people like me company. I want Mm. you to know that you, you provided a lot of comfort and reassurance and warmth to your fans, even when we couldn't see you.
1: I'm really grateful for that.
0: Do you have any interest in sitting down and writing a memoir?
1: Yes. I, I, I think I'm getting ready for that. (laughs) I'm at that point in my life, you know, where it feels like I'm ready to tell the story.
0: I really, really hope you do, Christine, because if you don't, those stories are going to get lost and you are, you, your career I know you're very humble, but your career is part of show business history. I'll give you an example. There were a lot of people that I know who had never heard of you until you appeared on the Rosie O'Donnell show. And then you had a whole new audience and you, in, you triggered an interest in Broadway from being on that show. That's really important. Mm.
1: Yeah, Rosie was such a champion on that, wasn't she? She was always bringing people on from Broadway.
0: And you were so likable. You were so full of energy. You were always willing to sing. And (laughs) I know so many people who said, you know, we want to see her on the stage now. So on behalf of all those people, I want to thank you for that. Uh Well, I thank you. I want to tell our viewers that you can learn more about Christine Ebersole and follow her career by going to her official website, christine-ebersole.com. You can also follow her on Instagram and Facebook. Well, Ms. Christine Ebersole, I have absolutely loved every moment of our time together. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to appear on our show.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure and an honor.
0: I know you're about to resume filming your TV show, and it means the world to me that you found time for us. Thank you so, so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, and I hope you have a wonderful, happy, healthy new year.
0: And same to you. Our guest Thank has you. been the incomparable Christine Nebersol, whose brand-new album, After the Ball, is now available on Amazon and every major music streaming platform. And don't forget to watch her every week on the CBS hit series, Bob Hart's Abishola. My name is Harvey Brownstone. Thank you to our producer, Steve Silver, to my management team, Rick and Robin, at the fabulous Marcelli Company in LA, and to my team in the UK at XPTV1. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Be sure to check out all the great interviews on the Harvey Brownstone Interviews YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when new videos are posted.